Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Scott Anderson about working with executive teams to drive successful organizational change initiatives. Scott Anderson, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm so excited to have a chance to talk with you today. Um, You're such a fascinating individual with a really interesting professional background, uh, but one of the things I really love about your background specifically is your focus on change management, which is one of my passions and and real uh, key interests and drivers in my own uh, career. Uh, and so I think it'll be a lot of fun to have the chance to to explore change management topics and your experience working with executives to bring about change initiatives within organizations. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's my passion, and I I think it's safe to say that when I came across change management as a formal discipline, that I found my tribe, I found my people, and and uh, and really a lot of purpose and passion in the work that I'm doing. So it's certainly a welcome opportunity to talk with you and have this discussion about about change management, about executives, about the importance of change management in in any organization. Wonderful. Uh, And as we get started, I want to share a little bit about um, Scott with the listeners. As a change management and business communication strategist, Scott Anderson helps executives get more buy-in, quicker adoption, better business results in their major organizational changes. His career has been about helping individuals, teams, and leaders organize and simplify their difficult challenges into actionable plans that improve their results and unchain their potential. He has a whole series of uh, credentials behind change management, and he's led various change management initiatives in the IT industry, including software implementations, enterprise, enterprise planning, enterprise project management practices, corporate performance measurement and dashboards, technology governance policies and processes, uh, and many other executive initiatives. In addition to change management, he's also experienced in executive communications, uh, business and professional communications, performance management, training development, uh, the IT industry, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I could go on and on and on uh, because you have such a fascinating background. Um, Before we get started, Scott, anything you'd like to add um, to kind of your background and your framing of the world? You know, I, I think I think it's interesting because I've looked at what is it that that makes me. Um, you know, I started out in social work, uh, so I started out as a clinical as a clinical social worker working with individuals on how they change, and then I've had this interest in technology and and kind of all along the way. In the, even in my PhD work, I was focused on persuasion and social influence. 
And I've kind of looked back and, and wondered, how did I get to where I am today? Like, what's that common thread? And, and as I've identified that, it's really about helping organizations and individuals to achieve their potential. And, and kind of what drives me and what I do is, is so often I see situations that are a whole lot more difficult than they need to be. Like, I, I just see so much frustration and difficulty and challenges that comes up in organizations. And, uh, and I just think there's a better way. You know, there, there are ways that you can improve the likelihood that your change efforts will succeed. And it doesn't have to be as painful as it needs to be. You know, if you've, if you've gone through any kind of a change in an organization and you personally experience the pain of going through that change, that's essentially what I feel is my responsibility to do is to help organizations to minimize that pain, to make it to make it easier and to make it a more productive and healthy experience for everybody who's involved in the change. So that's kind of my, my common thread is really, oftentimes I don't think it has to be as hard as it needs to be. And there are ways to make it a whole lot better. And, and change management is definitely one of those disciplines that makes a difference in the organizations. Awesome. And I think that's so cool that you have a social work background uh, before getting into change management and uh, the tech industry and all, all these different elements. Um, my PhD is in sociology. And I, so not a social worker, but a uh, similar kind of uh, natural kind of leanings and tendencies. And, and I'm kind of the black sheep in my family, so to speak, because my family are all like um, therapists and social workers. And then gotcha. I'm the guy, I'm the guy that ended up doing it for business. Um, gotcha. uh, but it, but it really is a lot of the same stuff, right? But it's it's just framed in a different way, and you're still helping individuals and teams and organizations rather than individuals and couples and whatnot. Um, and yeah, and, and I would say it's um, it, it's not only kind of the the framing that's different in terms of of I don't know the the context and kind of what I'm accomplishing, but I go back and look at my social work foundations in terms of when you start talking about family therapy and looking at systems theory. I'm looking at the interplay of all these different pieces that come together to make a change really work. It's never, it's never just one, one person or one piece of the system. It's that system within the context or, or it's that one piece within the context and it's the interaction and the interplay. And it gets really fascinating when you start looking that, looking at that, not only individually, but then in small groups or within a family setting or on teams or in teams. Um, or taking it out to a large organization. It's still some of those same principles that I learned in that social work background that still guide my thinking and the way I'm seeing the world around me as I approach change and change management. I, I can't see change management um, and any kind of change as being just dictated from the top down. That, yeah. that just doesn't, un, unless the system would allow it, unless the system is set up that that is the, the way the interaction should be, um, but to me, it's always this interplay of all these, all these forces and factors, and and learned interactions, and it, it's that whole, it, it's it's that whole environment, that whole context, that that becomes really fascinating when you're talking about any kind of change, and and how do we start working with kind of the components of that to get everybody working together, 
moving towards the same direction. Yeah, yeah. So you've already started to talk about it a little bit, some of the, the key elements that need to be there to, for change to be successful. Um, but if you're going into an organization and you're talking with an executive and, and there's this big change initiative coming down the pipeline, I mean, most people, it's human nature for people to be resistant to change for a variety of reasons. Um, and so you might be facing resistance from the executive team themselves, but, but certainly there's going to be resistance at some stage, you know, it, uh, with people in the organization. So how do you talk through um, resistance to change and successful setup and implementation of the change initiative with the executives as you're starting things out so you can drive success of the initiative? Yeah. And I it's it's a really interesting question, and and I think that the answer is almost embedded in the question, um, because just the fact that you're talking with the executive, um, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of research in like I come from a background that's associated with ProSci, and ProSci is a company that's been around for about 20 years, and they've done about 10 longitudinal studies at this point, looking at how organizations go through change. Um, one of the consistent findings that they've had. Is that uh, that the is is that the number one contributing factor to whether or not a change will succeed is active and visible sponsorship, and then it's actually interesting because sponsors, executive sponsors, are on what we would call kind of the naughty and the nice list. So so they're on the side of when when things succeed, the number one factor was that you had that sponsor who was active and visible, um, but also. When people are asked about projects that failed, that didn't succeed or didn't achieve what they intended, and then they're asked why, the number one reason is we didn't have that active and visible sponsor. So, so I think that's the very first place it's got to start. Um, just even having that access to that executive sponsor who's going to care enough about it to get behind it and make whatever the changes work, you've, you've got to have that um, that that is absolutely critical, and it it's it's critical enough that for me and my own personal interaction, that's the very first question that I'll ask: is who is it that's behind this? Who is it that's really pushing for this change to happen? And if I can't identify a a clear sponsor, um, I I'm usually pretty cautious about engaging, because I know that it's just that big enough of a success factor. That if it's not in play, and if you don't have that sponsor in place, the likelihood of your success just went down tremendously. It, and it opens it opens the doors to some some uphill battles that I personally don't want to have to fight. Um, so so I think that's the very first thing that we've got to do is get in and teach these executives what their responsibilities are in leading change. Um, to realize that they're really the ones who are setting the tone. And w what I find with a lot of executives is. Their initial response to change management is is that they're a little hesitant to buy into it. That they looked at look at it and say, "Well, that's one of those soft skills. You know, I'll reach out to the communications people to take care of that, or can't the uh, training team take care of that?" Um, once they start diving in to really understand what change management is, my experience has been that that it usually doesn't take more than more than maybe an hour or two hours of conversation to get them bought in. Once they, and the key there is, is once they understand that change management isn't about, it's not about what I, what I do and all, all the, it's not about what I do, it's about what I deliver. 
And what I deliver as a change manager is results and an ROI for whatever project it is that the sponsor is, is, is trying to push forward, whatever the change is. So, so I'll often go back to, to this idea of helping a sponsor to understand why does change management matter? And the way that I think about it is I conceptualize it as a big circle. And if, if you take that circle and then say, okay, all of the benefits that we hope to get from this initiative, this change, this project, whatever it is, let's just imagine that all of those benefits are inside that circle. Um, now, with that being the case, and this is kind of the magic question that, that I like to ask is, what percentage of those benefits depends on people changing how they work? So, so once I ask that question, oftentimes executives, managers, people across the board will come back and they'll say, it's usually like 70%, 80%, 90%. You can have the best system. You can have the best technically correct solution to a problem. But if nobody uses it, it's not going to provide you anything. You're not going to get the ROI that you want. So, so that's where I bring it back to that question and say, okay, so how much of it what percentage of all that success actually depends on people changing how they work? And then once I ask that question, I think it really opens people's eyes to say, wow, it really is a, a large portion that's dependent on people getting on board with the change. It's dependent on bringing people along and helping them to be successful in making the transitions that they need to for that change in the end to be successful. Um, it usually is a little side note. It's, it's always fun with that exercise to go ahead and draw a line through that circle that would indicate about where the 80% is or the 70%. And then just to rhetorically ask, so where do we spend most of our time and resources? Because oftentimes they'll come back and they'll point at the remaining 20% or 15%. And it just highlights the, I guess, the inequity oftentimes in, in where we really spend our resources. So so I'm a huge advocate of saying we have got to get the people on board. And the reason we do it is because I want to achieve the ROI on this project. I am, I am business driven and business results and outcomes focused. And I know that the way that you accomplish that is you get the people on board with the change. And that's how we make a real difference um, to the organization, to the bottom line, whether it's a mission driven organization or, or whether they're driven by, by a financial ROI, um, it's, it's the same thing. You do it by bringing the people along in the changes with you. Yeah, I really love that. Um, creating buy-in across the layers of an organization with a champion with, with an executive champion or the, or ideally even the whole C-suite um, team to drive the change that that's so vital. It's not easy to do. Um, but if you, if you take the initial steps, uh, if you lay the groundwork and the foundation for it, it, it takes some effort up front, but it'll pay huge dividends down the road. Um, I'm sure you probably have some examples earlier in your career where things didn't go quite the way you'd hoped. I know I've had those types of examples too. And almost always when I look at some of the, you know, I, I think of one in particular that happened when I was consulting with an organization maybe 15 years ago. And I thought things were going great. And then 
Like it just complete, it just completely imploded. I like overnight almost. And, and I was shocked. I was surprised. And it came down to exactly this. I thought I had more executive support than I had. Uh, I'd taken it for granted. Uh, I didn't continue to have those discussions. There were key people within the executive team that not only didn't support it, but actively opposed it that I wasn't aware of, you know? And so all of those things will undo anything that you're trying to do. <laughs> and it takes a real consistent, yeah. sustained effort over a long period of time to have change initiatives stick. And so you, you can't do what I did 15 years ago and take it for granted. I've been working with this organization for a year and a half. I thought we were yeah. like on a good path, but it, it, it all imploded, you know, just over literally overnight almost. You know, and I, I think that story, um, really highlights how, how common it is. I mean, that, that story is a common experience in a lot of organizations. I've, you know, you're, you're saying your story and I, and I've, I've got a story that's almost parallel knowing that it was, it was two years of effort of a lot of resources spent looking at, at replacing a key system and all the project team came in to the CEO for kind of the, the final, what was supposed to be the rubber stamp approval of the new vendor that they'd be moving forward with. And uh, it, after they'd got their final slide up and said, so we've chosen, we've selected the vendor, the CEO asked one question and said, so how well will this, will this work with our partners? And immediately I could almost start, I could feel that this thing started just rumbling and the bolts started popping off. And, and people started saying, well, yeah, I was concerned about that from the beginning. And that's why I wanted to go with another, another vendor. And, and really within about eight seconds, two years of work was just completely undermined. Um, and, and it goes back to that same thing though, that we, we didn't bring the CEO along. We didn't bring along that key executive and have that alignment among that C-suite on, on some of the basics. Um, there are some things that organizations can do to start positioning their projects for success. And one of those things that they need to do right from the beginning is to establish some of the basics. And I, and I look at those basics as, as being able to answer the questions of like, why are we doing this change? Why are we doing it now? Um, one of the key elements is also, what is the risk of not making this change? But, but I find that oftentimes in working with executives, they have a vision for the future and it's a vision that gets a little fuzzy around the edges. And so as a change manager, I feel like my job is to come in and to help them start crystallizing the defining a little bit more what that vision is by encouraging them to come up with some of those really concrete talking points to say, why are we doing this? And, and again, why now? What's the risk of not changing? Um, What's going to happen to the organization if we don't make this change? So I think that it's the executive leaders who have a real responsibility to ensure that they're setting their project up for success from the beginning by driving some of these key high-level questions of, of, of what is the whole purpose of this particular change within our strategy and, and kind of that big, big high-level, big-picture thinking stuff that they're really well positioned to bring to the conversation. Yeah, I think that's right. And as I consider, um, again, the book, the good and bad examples from my own experience, you know, as well as reading about, you know, cases and, and reading articles about, you know, how to do it effectively, 
um, or, or some of the things that you might do inadvertently to sabotage, you know, a change initiative, it really does often come back to establishing the why, having a clear vision and purpose behind the initiative. Um, because that, that is what will resonate in communicating the why and the ROI back to the executives. That's what they're most interested in. They want to know how is this going to help us do our work better? How is this going to help the organization serve our customers better? Um, all of those are things are the types of the questions. And sometimes we think, well, this is just a better process. Like this, this will, this will just make people's lives easier. And, and that may be an interesting why to us, uh, or maybe we do see a process problem where we see, you know, some issue. Um, but the disruption caused by the change initiative and the fact that, you know, 75, 80% of change initiatives fail, you know, it, it makes leaders question, is it actually worth it? Is it, is the marginal increase in productivity due to some new process worth all of the disruption, all of the angst, all of the resistance, all of the, you know, all the stuff that goes along with the change initiative. And if often it does, but we need to be able to speak that language to them. We need to be able to share that ROI with them and help them understand why and how this, this, this new thing that we're doing, this new process, this new approach, this, this uh, shift in our employee engagement strategy and our customer loyalty strategy, like the way we do these things, this is going to enhance the bottom line. And this is how that's what we need to be able to do and communicate. Yeah. And that's, I think often what we miss when we're trying to go about these initiatives. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting. If you look at the, uh, again, going back to some of this research from ProSci, they've gone out and asked the question of why is it that employees resist change in an organization? And the number one reason that comes back, the top of that list, is because employees lack awareness of the understanding of why we need to make this change. So that is the number one reason that employees are not getting on board with the change. That's the number one reason that they're resisting change is because nobody ever sat down and explained to them this is why we're doing this. This is why this matters. And, and this, is, this is the business need that we have that's driving this. Um, now, I know with that, there, there seems to be, that starts, that starts entering into the realm of, um, of, of how comfortable a company is being transparent with what's going on. So you may have a super, you know, what, what Cotter calls this urgency the, the very first step in making any kind of a change is you've got to establish this sense of urgency. Um, there may be some organizations that in the background, they're looking at their financials and recognizing that they're going to be in dire straits shortly. And they may not have the cultural values where they want to share that with everybody and, and say, you know what, this is what's going on here, our financials. Um, they, they may not want to disclose that and then they just keep going down the line without sharing that. And then it hits that all of a sudden they're no, no longer a, uh, an organization that can continue to, to function, but they didn't bring their people along. And then all of a sudden the change seems sudden, abrupt, people are let go. And it was a surprise. The people had no idea where it came from. Other organizations have this kind of more open approach where they don't mind just sharing what the financials are. They don't mind saying, okay, uh, organization, here's where we are. You know, COVID-19 has brought some changes in, in organizations. You look at the pandemic and what that's done, and a lot of organizations have had to really look look hard at themselves and processes 
and say, how are we going to do this? You know, we're taking a financial hit. Um, the question that I have is, are they letting their organization understand that? You know, and that's a very compelling why. That establishes a sense of urgency. If you go and say, you know what, honestly, we've had a drop in revenue. And we as, as leaders, we don't have all the, all the answers. We are in uncharted waters. We're in unprecedented times. We are trying to do the best with what we've got. And, and there's nobody better positioned than these executives to be trying to figure it out, but we don't have the answers. So, so I think if there's even that level of transparency of trying to help people understand why are we making these changes, that that's one of the first steps in bringing the entire organization along and overcoming that initial resistance that, that employees might have to a change that's coming. Yeah. So, so I'm, a, I'm an advocate of, of transparency, especially when it's genuine and it, it will drive that urgency to say we've got to make a change. Yeah, I, I agree. I, my bias is definitely towards transparency and over communication as the default. <laughs> um, and, yes. and, and that will help you drive the why behind whatever you're doing to employees across the organization, which is so key. Uh, maybe in our last few minutes, we can talk a little bit more about um, kind of the stages that organizations go through in the, in the maturity cycle. Um, you know, you, you have new startups, you, they, they might grow, um, they go through an initial period of growth, but then sometimes they'll, they'll just hit the runway and, and they'll just take off and, and uh, have some pretty huge growth over a short period of time. I once worked with an organization that was a, a family run business for, you know, the first 50 years of its existence. And then all of a sudden it, it decided to expand and they brought in investors and they, you know, they, they went to, you know, a, a national model very quickly and they grew from like 200 employees yeah. to, you know, 5,000 employees in just a few years, uh, you know? So when, when you have that kind of an environment, you, you're going through these stages of organizational growth and maturity, it causes its own set of challenges when you are a change agent trying to drive these change initiatives. Uh, any thoughts on, on that, how you might approach, you know, a small startup differently than a kind of a medium sized business or a rapidly scaling business or a more mature organization? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that question. And I, I love it because it speaks actually to my experience with, with organizations that I've, that I've worked with and also with uh, where I am currently. Um, so it, it is interesting that in a, when you've got that startup, startup mentality, a lot of it tends to be about what can we do to immediately meet the customer needs? Like what's the, what's the quickest thing that once we hear they need something, let's turn around and get something out the door really quick to meet that need as quickly as possible. Um, it's really common then as you start kind of expanding and growing that, that you, you start seeing that those practices just aren't sustainable. And, and they're not sustainable in, on a couple of fronts. One of those fronts is that you start uh, duplicating on the back end some of the solutions. So, so I'm, I'm thinking of, of one organization where, where it, it's a situation where we have people who are serving so many different customers. And let's say, for example, they were looking for in the IT space, they were looking for an application that could help them with their calendaring. And so one person says, great, let's build a calendaring app. And then somebody else in another space builds another calendaring app and somebody else builds another one. And then internally, 
you end up with nine or 10 different calendaring apps that really could be doing the same thing, um, but they, they could be consolidating on the back end, but instead they're accruing this technical debt. So, so you just see that um, just over time, there's a natural push that says we have to start consolidating. We have to start bringing a lot of these processes together. We have to start putting in some standards um, and, and standardizing. And that to me is really where change management um, kicks in. The, the change management in a small organization Given that it's a small organization, you're going to be a little more nimble and a little quicker to be able to move around. Um, but as you start expanding to hundreds of people and then thousands of people, you want to still retain that organizational agility. But um, the, the scale that it takes in terms of, of the, the resources and the ability to do that, um, it, it's, it's, the, the scale is much larger when all of a sudden you're talking about thousands of people that you need to be able to turn on a dime as compared to if you've got 20 people in a corporation. You know, that becomes um, one, one meeting to get everybody on board if it's the 20 people organization. But if it's a 20,000 people organization, um, that all of a sudden goes back to this systems approach where you've got to have all the different parts that are ready to go that understand their functions. So it's, it's teaching the executives what they need to do in change. It's teaching the middle-level managers and supervisors what their role is in change. It's teaching the frontline employees what their role is in change. So it's, it's, um, that would be probably the biggest transition that I see in looking at kind of a, a smaller organization. The change efforts are gonna be a little more manageable because you can, you can have that high level of communication among the group um, as you start moving to more of an enterprise change management discipline, then it becomes looking at that, that more holistic system and talking about what can we do to start equipping each of these areas of the system to be successful in what they need to do for the entire thing to work together. So, so I don't know if that directly addresses what you were saying, but it's, other than saying it's the scale, the magnitude, it really is different as you're moving. There are a lot of growing pains that are associated with going from a small startup to a large sustainable organization. Um, and I, I believe that change management is one of those things that if somebody can get along okay as a smaller organization without it, it becomes even more crucial and critical the larger the organization gets to be able to make sure that you can get everybody moving in the same direction and 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 develop that that agility to respond to whatever the environment is bringing wonderful i, I love that answer i really love the, the entire discussion today um we're about out of time uh it, it's which is unfortunate because i'd love to continue this uh and perhaps we can uh continue the discussion and and ex, uh, explore these topics further on, on a future episode um, but before we close today I want to give you a chance to um, share with the listeners how they can get connected with you and how they can learn more about what you're doing in your work. Would you mind sharing just a little bit? Sure. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, first I'd, I would say, you know, by all means, look me up on LinkedIn. Sorry, I apologize. I've got one of my, one of my kids in the background there. Um, I'd say look me up on LinkedIn. Um, it's Scott Anderson. I'm currently with Western Governors University. Feel, feel free to connect with me there. Um, and I, yeah, I would love to have any of these other conversations 
to, to kind of move things forward. I'm, I'm passionate about change, passionate about change management, um, enterprise change management. Uh, there, there are so many components that go into it. So I would certainly welcome the, the chance to talk further and, uh, and welcome connecting with others. Wonderful. And I know what it's like. I have lots of kids around my house too. It's just the way it is right now. Um, but those are happy noises. So, um, <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I encourage listeners to, um, to reach out to Scott. Um, truly a, a great uh, background and experience. And uh, I think there's lots we can learn from each other as we try to help organizations become more successful. So thanks, Scott. It's been a pleasure. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Likewise. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.